what up, what up, what up? It's your boy. I am your host, Bemo Brown. Welcome back to our weekly discussion on the creation of ideas, the discovery of action, the right place to be. Mo, we got a great episode this week. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Whew, what a week. Got a few things we want to talk about this week. Uh, three things, of course. As we do every week, we're going to explore different topics and tackle kind of the reason and answer the question, why do we come up with the thoughts and the ideas that we have, all based on the common saying by my girl Ellie Rose, Eleanor Roosevelt, small minds discuss people, average minds discuss events, but great minds discuss ideas. And here at The Right Place to Be Mo, we have exclusive only great discussions here on The Right Place to Be Mo. So this, this week I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about why I hate on LeBron. I want to talk about the future of whiteness. That's right, I said it. And then, yes, I'm finally going to give you part two of our discussion on the relationship between black men and black women. So let's just jump right into it. We're going to start off with the LeBron conversation. Resolved. LeBron James will go down as one of the top 10 greatest black men of all times. Not athletes, not professional sports player, not forwards, not better than Jordan. Yes, one of the top 10 greatest black men of all time. LeBron James is constantly sending kids to school. He has mastered the skill of networking laterally. As our sister Issa Rae said, was the future of our genius, even did it before Issa Rae. LeBron James has been kind of ordained to be the next great thing. And I believe that even after his career in the NBA is over, LeBron James will go down as one of the greatest, top 10 greatest black men of all time. But fuck him. Fuck him, fuck him, fuck him. Let's talk about why I hate on LeBron James. Now, before we even start, I wanted to make sure that we put in that preposition on after hate because I don't hate LeBron James because then that would be kind of like uh, oxymoronic. That would be a, a, a contradiction towards my morals. How could you hate a man that's also building a community? But here at the right place to be Mo, I want to take this conversation a little bit higher. So I want to leave out the person that is Le LeBron James. I want to leave out the events that LeBron James participates in. So this is not a discussion of his 50-point game in the finals last night. I want to talk about the idea of the narrative of LeBron James. And of course, as we usually do, we're going to break this thing down into three segments. We're going to talk about the myth, we're going to talk about the virtue, and then the action, which you've already heard, which is, fuck him, straight up. The myth. Again, we're not talking about the man. We're not talking about the event. I'm talking about the idea of him. The narrative of an individual who is supposed to be great, born under a star, body of a god, able to leave high school and play with the pros as if, if it was easy transition, looks like he was born 35 and won't age another day and is still on top of his game. In my opinion, LeBron James was bred to win. And the myth that founds my idea of fuck him, and I don't know if a lot of people feel this way, but the myth that founds that idea is that I don't like perfection. I don't enjoy 
the narrative of an individual that was supposed to be great and then goes on to greatness. I have a couple examples in mind, and I can only think of fictional things because I don't think there's ever been an individual like LeBron James on this planet. And if he has, it didn't exist in the social media era or the Google era. The easiest comparisons I can make are like Superman, Hulk Hogan, and Barack Obama to a, to a certain degree. These individuals are booked, talented, cast as the immortal. When we were watching LeBron James come up, it was witness LeBron James as if he was the second coming of all great basketball. And it might be true. It might not be true. Might be right, might be wrong. It's the right place to beam up. We're not here to evaluate. I'm here to simply tell you that at the bottom of this myth of why I hate on LeBron James is really my disinterest in the narrative of perfection. Don't give me Hulk Hogan, the man who was supposed to rule wrestling from the 80s through the 90s. Give me Macho Man Randy Savage, the dude that's a little bit too small and his voice is a little bit too raspy, but he perfected his technical skills. Don't give me Superman came to this planet to be his hero, unlimited powers, powers that he can't even tap yet. I don't want Superman. Give me Spider-Man. Give me the cat that got bit by a spider who did not choose to be a hero, who did not choose initially to do the right thing, but was dragged into it through circumstance. Give me the hero that gets a cold and gets pimples. Don't give me the hero that's scared of a green rock or the Golden State Warriors. I want that cat. That's the narrative that I, that I enjoy. So if that's the narrative, the virtue that I pull from that is I enjoy the narrative of the flawed becoming champions. So in particular to basketball, if we want to stay to this conversation, give me a Derrick Rose, a cat that's blown out his knee three times, had major surgeries five times, shoulders don't work, ankles don't work, but still can average 16, 17 points in an NBA game. Give me that cat. Will he be considered the greatest of all time? Probably not, but that's the individual I enjoy. Give me the cat with the frail ankles who nobody drafted him to a D1 school because he was too small, but has changed the game through his three-point shot. Give me that cat. Give me the too tall point guard, seven foot, that weighs the same amount as Steph Curry and a peasy head. Give me that cat. But you can keep LeBron for all his virtues, for all the positivity he does in the community. I respect the man. But if you're asking me on an entertainment standpoint, the idea of the narrative of LeBron James, you can keep that narrative of perfection because I am not perfect. I am not perfect. So how can I draw from a story and respect a story from a man who was ordained to be great? I can't have it. And I don't know how many people can agree with me, but I, I was on the Twitters, I was on the Tumblers, I was on the Instagrams, I was on the Googles reading the paper. There's a lot of questions asking like, how could you hate on LeBron James? How can you hate on LeBron James? How can you hate on this man who's so great? He put up 50 points in the finals. Fuck him. He's supposed to put up 50 points in the finals. He's LeBron James. I don't want that narrative. Give me a better one. Matter of fact, give me Mo. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the right place to be Mo. Again, I am your host, Bemo Brown. It's a reminder, not a name, just so you know. In this next section, I want to talk about the future of whiteness. 
Resolved. In the future, we won't need whiteness to define blackness, for white won't exist. Now, Bima, where you going with this? What you, what you talking about? We were just talking about LeBron James. You've been talking about recent events. Now you're going to come drop us with some academic shit. You're goddamn right. Here I come. Let's break this thing down. And as usual, we will put this thing into our usual format of myth, virtue, and action, and then leave you with a question that will hopefully help clarify your understanding and help build an idea for yourself. So let's first, let's first off, let's define whiteness. Now, for you know what? Before we even get to definitions, right? If you get to the point where you can't even agree with the definition, you might as well just fast forward seven minutes and get to the last section where we're talking about black women. Because what I don't want to do, I don't want to argue about the terms. I don't want to argue about the terms. Again, the right place to be more, we don't talk about people. We don't talk about events. We talk about the ideas. So follow along with the idea. If you have an ideological opposition, please feel free to, to respond. If you want to talk about events, you want to talk about people, keep it to yourself. Let's start with the definitions, though. We're going to define whiteness. Systems of oppression used to marginalize or discriminate individuals of the minority in a very simple definition. Examples of that are health disparities, wealth disparities. Did you know? Check this out. Check this out. There's a wealth gap that's happening in the United States. And please feel free to Google. I'll, I'll, I'll attach some, some documents that you can check out. Did you know that no matter in what class a black person is born, they are like six, seven times more likely to end up in poverty in juxtaposition to that in whatever class a white person is born, they are like six or seven, eight more times likely to move up a class. That's crazy. Consistently, consistently since they started tracking unemployment numbers, black unemployment has been exactly double of white employment. So I just want to give you a quick definition of what whiteness is. Actually, like if you, there are several definitions. If you want to check out uh, Elijah Muhammad's definition of whiteness, he says that um, he says that black people accidentally created whiteness in a lab, and after three thousand years, these people would be destroyed, and then we would rule the earth again. Right? That's a myth. That's not a true fact, y'all. But that was his definition. His definition is that it's the creation that we made on accident as a detriment to ourselves. In any way, the definition of whiteness currently also defines what blackness is, blackness being the opposition of whiteness. But what I want to do in this segment, though, now that we have defined that, what I want to do is I want to introduce a not-so-radical thought as we go through our three sections of myth virtue. Let's just change the myth right now. What if we decided that whiteness didn't exist? What if we changed the basis of all of our narratives, blackness being the opposite of whiteness, blackness being in opposition to whiteness, blackness being for the appeasement or for the appeal of whiteness, for the salvation of whiteness? What if we, black people, of course, or everybody, what if we just decided right now that whiteness doesn't exist? Bima, what would be, what are you talking about? What are, what are the ramifications? We changed the myth today, so what? Let's say whiteness doesn't exist. We've changed that myth. What are our fears? What, are, what, is, what is the immediate reaction to whiteness does, ex, does not exist? So I'm going to bring up a couple of institutions that are, uh, I guess, institutions of whiteness. I call them institutions of whiteness. I call it credit, major award shows, white women, <laughs> and other systems of white adulation and appeasement. So if we decide today that whiteness doesn't exist, all those things as prizes for white adulation or as a result for 
salvation of blacks. All those things no longer exist. So what do we replace them with? Do we replace them? What's next? Right? We change the myth right now. Whiteness doesn't exist. That's the myth. Now we move up to the virtue. If whiteness doesn't exist, then race doesn't exist, and black is actually a culture. A standalone culture, not based in survival, but based on self-defined prominence. The why changes. If the myth changes, the virtue changes, and the why changes, which leads us to our action. The why, from whom, if anybody, are we seeking validation, salvation, in terms of self-worth. Whiteness doesn't exist. Blackness is now a culture. It's no longer a race, meaning that you aren't obligated to be black. You can participate in black systems. The black culture itself stands alone, not based on survival, but based on self-defined prominence, and thus our why changes. Why do we do what we do? Are we seeking validation? Are we seeking salvation? Which of the two? And then it comes to, finally, our action. Whiteness doesn't exist. Black is now a culture. What do we do with the systems of credit? What do we do with the systems of like the Grammys, the Oscars? What do we do with uh, marrying for love as a, as a prize? It used to be back in the day. Not so much more now. Um, and I definitely don't want to offend anybody, which is a rare statement that will happen on this show. And I don't think many black men are marrying white women to be like, ha, got you, white man. I don't think that's happening too much these days. But still, a system of white adulation and appeasement. So then I guess the, the, the question that I want to leave you with, tomorrow, whiteness can, in fact, not exist. If we all made the collective decision tomorrow, to remove whiteness from our lexicon, from our intellectual dictionary. And now the systems that were created to oppress us no longer have the same impact. I was talking to my producer the other day and she kept telling me, she was like, B, all these things sound great. We can dismantle the Grammys. We can dismantle our self-worth in trying to marry a white woman. We can dismantle other systems of white adulation and white appeasement um, for our for our self-worth. But what do you mean? How do you, how do we dismantle credit? How do you dismantle financial institutions that have been in place 200, 300, 400 years in which black people are just now getting to start at? That's, I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know, though, is that the seeking for financial gain as a sense for appeasing or finding validation towards our white counterparts can no longer be our future. Matter of fact, taking that same energy towards anything, we can no longer define our success, our self-worth, our prominence, our culture's validity based on something that was created to oppress us. Resolve. We won't need whiteness to define blackness, for white won't exist. You can agree, you can disagree, but all I ask is you think, you think more about it. Just be a little more. We'll be right back. We are brought to you by creative group in D.C. called Distinctly Creative. Distinctly Creative is an organization that's dedicated to help supporting creators like myself bring you great content like this and continue to circulate the creative economy in D.C. So if you want to support that, go to distinctlycreative.com. Check out some of the merchandise. As you're checking out, put in your promo code B-E-M-O. Save you 15% on some merchandise. They got some cool stuff out. Uh, they got like this Black Creators Matter sweatshirt and T-shirt. They just put out a new line. 
Uh, shout out to my girl Morgan. That's her name. Shout out to my girl Morgan doing it big over Distinctly Creative. Welcome back to the right place to be, Mo. Again, I'm your host, Bemo Brown. Welcome back to the show. If I haven't pissed you off, we are about to get into our final segment of the show. I want to say three weeks ago now, um, almost a month ago now, we started our three-part segment on the discovery of what happened between the relationship of black men and black women. We started with our myth of black women, uh, praising them, trying to understand uh, uh, where they come from and the origins of the love in the second part, we're going to take it up to the next level. We're going to talk about the virtues of black women as it pertains to actions that black men can take to fix this relationship. Not saying it's our fault, not saying it's their fault, but as you can see or as you can hear, there's no black woman in the room. So all I can do is speak for the perspective of the black man in a progressive force because that's what we do here at the right place to be, Mo. So the virtues of the black woman. Uh, last time we, we stopped the, the first part with trying to figure out what virtues of black women that we can take as black men to help develop our actions to, to fix our relationship. Again, the ultimate resolution of these segments, of this three-part segment, uh, part three will be in a podcast in the future, is to try to really answer the question. Somehow, somewhere between Love Jones... And right now, the relationship between black men and black women became increasingly frayed. I have a lot of theories on why um, and a couple specific examples. Uh, there was a young lady, and we're going to get to the virtues right after this, but there was a young lady, I want to say maybe five years ago, cannot remember her name, and i probably get beat up for it. So a young lady, she kept having trouble with the law, she kept getting pulled over by a cop. She was a little mouthy. She was very loud about it, but still she had violated no civil liberty. She had done nothing to, to, to really irritate the, the law on a legal level. Uh, she mysteriously died in a, in, a, in a jail cell, and then afterwards, soon afterwards, was the Sandra Bland situation, also another black woman who had uh, mysteriously died in a jail cell saying they commit suicide. It seemed a little fishy. I remember reading the Twitters and the Instagrams and the Tumblers and the, and the, and, and the think pieces at the time, and black women were really calling for black men to respond in the same way that black women had responded for Trayvon, responded for Mike, responded for, for Sean, all of these situations. And it seemed like on a general response level, black men were not stepping up to the level of outrage. I agreed or disagreed at the time. I cannot remember. Um, but I believe, this was about six years ago, I believe this began, started the frayed relationship between black men and black women. And then as we entered into uh, the Time's Up era and the Me Too era, which was very heavily based on feminism, not womanism, which would be the kind of the minority counterpart to feminism. Womanism, just real quick, uh, states that uh, uh, women have to rise with men as opposed to to rising against men. It's not a privilege of the minority to rise against other minorities for the sake of the community because we, we just don't have the numbers. Whereas feminism, uh, first wave, second wave, third wave, fourth wave, has always seemed to have a connotation that was juxtaposed against the, the majority of men. So 
Anyway, so we had the Sandra Bland situation. We got Me Too's coming out. We got Bill Cosby coming through. R. Kelly's getting dragged through the media again. Seems like black men ain't shit once again. So I'm trying to figure out, again, this whole section is trying to figure out what happened to our relationship. So in such, I want to look at, because I do think black women are the better, of the, uh, the better of the two. Like they are definitely, black women are the black people of the black people, right? There was a statement a while ago that black men are white people are black people, which is so hurtful. But anyway, uh, black women are definitely the black people of black people. So caring, so nurturing, so virtuous. So we want to look at some of the virtues that I think black women can, not black women, some of the virtues I think black men can adopt to help uh, help um, mend the relationship. Um, the first thing, though, is vigilance. Touching back on touching back on the Sandra Bland situation and other situations where black women seem to be under attack. The most beautiful thing that happens when black men are under attack is you see, you see, oh man, you see Twitter light up. And you can take Twitter as a source of knowledge or not, that's up to you. But you see Twitter light up with opinions and like actions of black women saying that we have to protect black men. It's almost been a thing that's been happening since like the 80s when black, women start, black men start to be endangered because of different systematic rules. The war on drugs, blase, blase, black fathers me at home, not being at home, all that good stuff. But black women have always stepped up and been the most vigilant of our group. When you think about the, the first protesters of the black community, who were they? It was black women. I mean, I couldn't, I, I don't know if I could really make that argument for the enslaved. I'm pretty sure a more scholarly person could. Uh, but when you look at the civil rights movement, when you look at really the beginnings of uh, 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 the black liberation movements in the 1900s, like they were headed by the combination of black women dragging a, along black men. When you look at the story of Rosa Parks, it's perfect, even though we had like Claudette Colvin, I think that was her name, was in front of her. And either way, it was based on the marginalization of women, the treatment of women. Black men, when, black men can't have that shit. It used to be a time where black men stood up for black women like it was like, you <laughs> we'll have a full on march. Somebody gonna get beat down, touch a black woman. Somehow that's changed, but I think that's a virtue that black men can pick up again. I don't know if it's a, a toxic masculinity conversation about the, the, the fear of being vulnerable in public. I don't know if it's actually a fear of being vigilant in public as a black man. There's a history in that, but I still think we can pick back on that. The second thing I want to talk about is, uh, is the tribe. Black girl magic? My God, talk about that might be the hashtag of the century. Right next to maybe Occupy Wall Street, Black Lives Matter, Black Girl Magic. Black Girl Magic might be the biggest hashtag movement, social media gathering of people that I've seen since. Remember when they was trying to get a dude, Coney, out of Africa? That shit was popping for like a week, but Black Girl Magic has been popping since. 1802, probably earlier, since Waiting to Excel. I remember my mama going to see Waiting to Excel with her girls. That was crazy. Black women tribe. It's another thing I think that we could take from black women is the ability to be a tribe amongst black men. Now, you know, black men listen to say, yeah, we kick it, we talk, but do we really have those vulnerable conversations with each other? Do we really open up about like the personal problems that we have, our mental health, the way we eat, the way we the way we survive in 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 a larger setting? Maybe amongst our closer friends, but when you like look into the relationship of black women, it's out front. 
it's out in the open. It's public. It's like you can hear the struggle. You can see the pains. You can rejoice in their, in their triumphs. So I think that we can, black men, we can take from the tribe and we can take from their magic, right? The next thing, I think we could take from their hair and hairline, right? So black women went natural with like eight, nine years ago. Ironically, I'm starting to see like, I'm starting to see more in black men, I'm starting to see more froze. I'm starting to see more temp phase with the curls on the top. I'm starting to see more locks. I'm starting to see more two-strand twists. I'm starting to see twists out. I'm starting to see cats with the natural hairline. I say all to say that the appearance of the black man has kind of been forced upon us, kind of like on this 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 theory of beauty in a in a Eurocentric way of like parallelism that one half of your face has to look like the other half of your face. With black women, they don't give a fuck, but they the baddest people on the planet. Hairlines far back as hell, four foreheads big as shit. Big ass foreheads, beautiful black women. But black men out here got fucking black paint. <laughs> you got black paint on the front of your head trying not to have a cul-de-sac. Rock your hair. Be yourself. Another virtue I think we could take from black women. But they can keep that invisible part, though. I don't get it, Tyrone. I don't understand. I don't understand. Somebody going to have to call and write me or text me or something. I don't understand the invisible part. But all of these things, the vigilance, the sense of tribe, the magic, the, the, the ability to be flawed and beautiful, the openness of our conversation, the vulnerability, I believe that black men can start to adopt, if they haven't already, start to adopt some of these principles. And we will see, just on a myth and a virtue level, before we even get to action, before we even get to what we can exactly do or how we can express ourselves, which may not be too different from what we're doing now, but before we even get there, I think we'll start to be able to see a shift. This is the age of authenticity. Right. I keep saying that on this podcast is the age of authenticity. No other time like right now in modern history have people been more invested in showing themselves. Alicia Keys started doing the, the no makeup thing. Cardi B came out here oh, and talking it in her talking it in her Bronx accent. Everybody want to be real now. Again, I just mentioned two black two black women setting trends. But in this age of authenticity, that's what's going to show. That's what's going to show. Not your tired pieces on Twitter or your rants on Instagram about how black men ain't shit and how we can oppose that. That's not going to do it. What's going to do it is a true shift in our myth, how we respect black women, how we think about black women as being strong creatures, things that are supposed to be protected, not objectified. Things that we're supposed to build, not conquer. We change that myth, then we change our virtue we start adapting the things that make women, black women, the great things they are, we'll start to see that shift. On the next, though, on the next part, we're going to talk about the actions, specific actions that I think black men can take to make a direct improvement on our relationship with black women. Stay tuned. Next podcast, we'll do part three. Finally, answer the question. How can we mend the relationship between black men and black women? What steps can black men take? Maybe we'll get a black woman in here, get her on the phone. My man Tyrone said we can make phone calls. Get a black woman in here. We'll run our draft by her. She'll make her notes, as black women do. We'll collaborate. We'll come back maybe for part four to maybe put out some action steps. Um, you can agree. You can disagree. But at the end of the day, we're trying to move forward. We're trying to be Mo. We'll be right back.
Once again, I want to thank y'all for stopping by the right place to be, Mo. We will be back every week right here on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com backslash BMO Podcast Network. You can follow us on Instagram at BMO Speaks, B-E-M-O Speaks, S-P-E-A-K-S. I'm dyslexic, so I might have spelled that wrong. I got the right time wrong? BMO Speaks as if you're talking. Follow us on Instagram. Feel free to drop any questions, comments, concerns, recommendation, rumor accusations, anything that you want to hear on the show. We will definitely try to uh, explore the idea of that. This episode, as always, the right place of BMO, as always, is brought to you by the Office of Cable Television, Film, Music, and Entertainment. 202 Creates, my man Tyrone, the producer. Uh, so until next week, guys, um, what are your thoughts? <laughs>